There is a universal frustration that all of us have felt at one time or another, no matter who you are or what you believe about God. It's a frustration that comes when you are asking and pleading with God for something, something that seems to be obvious, something that seems to be a good thing. And yet, God isn't giving you what you're asking for. You're asking and pleading, and yet you didn't get what you're asking for. And this can be with minor things, like when you're at Target and you wanted to get that sale item and there's none left on the shelves, and the worker goes into the back room, the notorious back room. I don't know if they actually go back there to look or just to take a break, whatever. But you're lobbing up a prayer, Lord, please let there be one more on the shelf. Or it might be with some major things, prayers about finding a spouse or getting the right job or maybe for a miraculous healing. And you know what makes it even more frustrating? is that when you look around, there are people you know, lots of them, that have what you've been praying for. They have the thing or the, the season of life that you've been praying for, and you know what? They don't even pray, and yet they seem to have it. And when that season of pleading and asking lasts long enough, what happens is that we begin to have questions. And sometimes we have questions about prayer. Does it work? Or am I doing it wrong? When that season lasts even longer, we can even begin to have questions about God. Does he care? Or is he there at all? There is this universal frustration that all of us have had at one time or another. And you see, God knew that. God knew that you would feel that way. And so when Jesus was asked by the disciples, to have him teach them how to pray. He made sure that in that model prayer called the Lord's Prayer, that in that model prayer, that he would address that very concern, that he would put a part of the prayer in there that will help us better understand and better navigate those seasons of frustration that part can make all the difference in the world. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, we are in the middle of a series that we're calling When You Pray, because that's the, the words that Jesus used before he taught the disciples how to pray. He said, when you pray, do this. And what we've been looking at is Jesus' model prayer called the Lord's Prayer. In week one, we looked at the phrase, our Father in heaven. 
that phrase is kind of the address to the entire prayer. And if you were with us, you remember what we talked about is this is the way we can approach God. Not trembling, but instead the way a loved child approaches a father he knows loves them. Then in week two, we looked at the phrase, hallowed be your name. And if you remember someone's name, especially when talking about God, it's representative of his entire identity. And in a world where there are a lot of different ways that people think and feel about God, this is a phrase that reminds us that we are to remember that God is holy, to recall what God's real identity is when we come to him in prayer. And then last week, we talked about your kingdom come, that we're, we're praying that God's gospel work is done both in our hearts and throughout the entire world. Today, we're going to be talking about this phrase. Lord, your will be done. Now, the first thing I, I want to point out about Jesus' model prayer is how different it is than often what our prayers look like. You see, we're about halfway through Jesus' prayer, and we haven't even asked for one thing yet. And yet, if we were to look at our prayers, and there's nothing wrong with this, I just think we need to remember balance and that there's a lot more to prayer, that most of our prayers tend to be the give me, help me, save me, asking God for things prayer. We haven't even gotten to that yet. We're not going to get to that until next week. Give us today our daily bread. That's the, that's the prayer for the sale item to be in the back room. That's the, the prayer that we ask for God to give us the things that we hope and desire for in this life. We're not there yet. And before God gets there, he gives us this phrase, your will be done. And I want you to notice something else there, that I don't think it's an accident, I know it's not, that Jesus gave this order to it. He knew that there were going to be times that God's children were going to be asking for things and not getting exactly what they're asking for. And I want you to know that doesn't mean that God doesn't hear us when we don't get what we're asking for. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. That doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. You know what it means when we don't get exactly what we've been asking for, even as obvious and good as it seems like it would be? It's our first fill-in for today. It simply means this, that God's will is better than my way. That God's will for us, even when we can't fully understand it in all the details, God's will is always better than my way. And Jesus forces us to acknowledge that in this Lord's Prayer. 
And in fact, God's will is a filter through which every good prayer is asked. So when you're asking for whatever it is that you're hoping and praying for, the best prayers, good prayers, always acknowledge God's will being best. It's a filter through which every good prayer is asked. Now, my guess is for those of you listening online or in the room here that maybe this isn't brand new information for you. But here's what I also know. We forget. And sometimes we need to acknowledge that there is a growth in understanding of what God's will is so that we are better able to get through those seasons of seeming frustration. And and that's what I want to do with you today. I, I want to help you better understand how God's will can still be good even when it doesn't feel that way. And to do that, we're going to go to an incident that happened at the end of Jesus' life. So it's the night before Jesus would die. And he has been spending time with the disciples in a rented room in Jerusalem. As many of you know, he instituted the Lord's Supper that evening. He washed the disciples' feet. They were celebrating the Passover together. But after the time in that upper room, here's what happened next. Luke writes in his biography of Jesus' life that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. The Mount of Olives was a mount near Jerusalem, and on it, some of you know the name of the garden that was there. It was the Garden of Gethsemane. And I love the phrase that Luke uses here where he says, he went there as usual. You see, this this time of getting away with the Father, this time of spending in prayer, it is something that Jesus not only told us what to do through the Lord's Prayer, but he modeled it for us. Jesus' life, especially in seasons where he needed to recharge, we see written down in the Bible that he would often go to be by himself and to spend time in prayer. Verse 40, on reaching the place, he said to the disciples, pray that you won't fall into temptation. Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and prayed. Now, let me give you a little more context about this prayer and Jesus kneeling down. You see, whatever normalcy that Jesus was displaying in the upper room that evening, now that was all gone. Because Jesus knew what was ahead of him. He knew that there was suffering Tremendous suffering in the next 24 hours. In fact, when Matthew, who was there that night, when he wrote what he experienced that evening with Jesus, he wrote this about that same time. Jesus said to the disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
Stay here and keep watch with me. If you could know exactly when you would die, would, would you want to know? For Jesus, he not only knew when he was going to die, but he knew what it would cost him. He knew that he would be suffering excruciating pain um, on the, the cross as he'd be crucified. And even more than that, this would be unlike any other death or crucifixion as uh, Jesus would be carrying the sins of the entire world upon him that in a very real way, Jesus would be enduring hell itself. And what would that be like? Thankfully, for those who believe in Christ, we will never need to experience it. But I, I think the best glimpse of just how horrible hell will be can be found in a cry of anguish that Jesus displayed on the cross when, as he was dying, Jesus was experiencing the worst part of hell when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, the, the father who keeps the stars in their orbit and causes the sun to shine, the father who comforts us when we're hurting and gives us strength when we are weak, the father who as people who live on this earth, we've never had to experience, even unbelievers, a day without God's presence and guidance in this world. Jesus was experiencing what it would be like if the Father did not exist as the Father forsook his Son in that moment and as Jesus suffered what we deserved. And in the garden, Jesus knows this is coming. If you knew it was coming, what would you pray? Maybe it would sound similar to Jesus' prayer. Verse 42. Father, he's praying, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Now, here's what I want you to know. Jesus wasn't having second thoughts about whether you are worth saving. Jesus had been fully, 100% invested on this rescue plan, the salvation mission, and there wasn't anything that was going to stop him. But you understand, don't you? In his humanity, he recognizes the valley that's in front of him, the pain that he's going to have to experience. And in his humanity, he asked the question that he kind of already knew the answer to, Lord, if it is your will, could you take this cup, this cup of suffering from me? Could there be another way? Can we save the world and yet not have to go through this valley? And God's answer, 
I love you, but there is no other way. And why is that? Well, in order for you and I to be saved, there needed to be a perfect substitute who would experience and endure the punishment we deserved. The separation that Jesus experienced on the cross for a little bit of time is the same separation that you and I deserve because of our sins. Sin separates people from God. There needed to be a substitute to endure it instead, to pay the price that we deserve to pay. So there was no other way. And as Jesus earnestly prays to his heavenly father, God's reply is the same one that sometimes we've experienced. I'm not going to give you what you're asking for. And so Jesus would experience separation from the father. So we will never have to. Now, on the surface, when a son is, a daughter is experiencing pain like Jesus was going through, and that son or daughter asks, Lord, could you, could you take this away? On the surface, in your life, thinking of your sons or your daughters, wouldn't the obvious answer be, <laughs> I'm going to take it away? That's what seems to make sense. And yet you and I know because we went through it that in this situation, God had other things that he understood about the situation. And even though the prayer, take this cup from me, Lord, but not your will, mine be, or not my will, but yours be done. God, it made sense for him to say no to that, I can't take it away. And through that, as he allowed his son to suffer, God is also teaching us something else. It has to do with his will. Our second fill-in for today. He's teaching us that he cares more about your eternity than anything else. God cares more about your eternal home than your earthly happiness. He cares more about you spending eternity with him than anything else he could have for you or give you. In fact, when Paul was writing to uh, his pastor friend, Timothy, he talked about God's will. Here's how he says it. He says in 1 Timothy 2, God wants what? What's his will? for all to be married, for all to be parents, for all to be rich, for all to be successful, for all to be healed of their disease. God's overriding will, the thing he cares about the most is this, that God wants all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God gives those other gifts. 
He blesses us more than we could ever deserve. But when we're talking about his will, his overriding will, the, the thing that directs him, his true north, God's compass, it has less to do with how you feel about this earthly life and has more to do with where you're going to spend your eternal life. And I want to talk to you with an illustration about what can happen when we forget that and what we're doing when we get upset with God because he's not giving us exactly what we're asking for. So I want you to think about a four-year-old boy and his favorite toy is this red fire truck. It's got hoses and ladders and when you press a button, it makes siren noises. He plays with that thing all the time. And then one time he got a little bit too close to the basement steps and his favorite toy in all the world goes down the basement steps, tumble, tumble, crash, and it's broken. And he understandably starts crying. He's upset. He's overwhelmed by a sorrow of losing something that he really wanted. Now, that same day, his parents had gotten notice that a long-lost uncle had left them, or him, the four-year-old, $10 million as an inheritance. Now, remember, this is a story, okay? You can tell. <laughs> $10 million the same day as his fire truck broke. What would happen if the parents went over to that four-year-old and said, you know what? I know you lost your fire truck, but you just got $10 million. Who cares about the fire truck, four-year-old? You know what they would begin to do? They would continue to cry because they don't care about the $10 million. They're not wise enough. They don't have perspective enough. They're not mature enough to understand what that means. So they just, that four-year-old just continue to cry even though he's just been given something that you and I know is way bigger and greater than a little red toy fire truck. Have you ever asked God to fix your fire truck and he allows it to stay broken? And when that happens, when he's not giving us what we ask for, what we're pleading for, what we're, we're praying for, it hurts and we get upset. And sometimes we get upset with God and we get frustrated and we wonder whether he really loves us and we begin to question a whole bunch of different things at times. You know what's happening in those moments? We're allowing a broken fire truck to take away our happiness while we've been given an inheritance that is so much better. 
You've been given an amazing gift. So have I already. It cost Jesus a great deal of pain and suffering, separation from the Father. You've been given something great, greater than a $10 million inheritance. You've been given eternity. And I want you to know that even still, God even in the midst of the ups and downs of life, that he has a view that is so much bigger and so much fuller than yours. He knows things that you don't know. He sees things that I don't see. He understands things that we don't understand. And there's this really good book on prayer that I, I would recommend. It's called Prayer by um, Tim Keller. We, we quote Tim Keller quite a bit around here. And there's this little statement in that book that I thought was just so powerful and helped me open my mind to those moments where I'm wondering what's going on in life. Here's what Tim Keller writes in that book. That when you pray... God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. <laughs> that's worth writing down. I'm going to say it again. Read it again. God will either give us what we ask or he will give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that he knows. Prayer is the perfect opportunity for us to come with humility and to come with trust and to align our hearts with the knowledge that we have a God who knows so much more than we do and has already given us the greatest gift we could ever ask for. Everything else is frosting on the cake. And so our goal in prayer, as we pray Lord, your will be done. Number three, our prayer or our goal is not to align God with my will. It sounds so silly when you say it that way, and yet so much of our prayer life is that, isn't it? It's silly. Our goal is not to align God, the omniscient creator of the universe, with my will, but instead in prayer, we want God to align us with his will. Let's go back to Jesus. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, in fact, like drops of blood falling to the ground. Next verse. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And of course, Jesus' situation is not exactly like ours. I get that. But do you notice what happened? 
when Jesus prayed, God could not take away that cup and still save the world. But you notice what it said that God did send an angel to strengthen him through it. Oh, Jesus would still have to suffer hell, but he was renewed and strengthened in that moment as he went forward. So much so that just a couple moments later, this is what Matthew records about Jesus' words. He says, look, he's talking to his disciples. The hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, exclamation point. Let us go, exclamation point. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus, God, may not take away whatever it is you've been praying about. He may not give you whatever it is that you're asking for. And I don't want you to get the wrong impression that God is not promoting passivity in your prayer life through this message. He, in other places, says, ask, seek, knock. He says, be persistent. You continue to pray. But as you do, God's will is a filter through which every good prayer is asked. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. So what about application for today? How can we make this simple? How can you apply this? Well, let me ask you this. Do you remember what it was like learning to swim? For some of you, maybe you had a great experience. For many of us, it was probably like mine. I got dropped off at the YMCA in El Paso, Texas. My parents would then go wherever, go shopping, whatever my mom would do. And, and then they'd come back, and there'd be some weeks or days where I actually got in the pool. <laughs> and there are other times where I just spent the entire hour crying on the side of the pool because I didn't want to go in. But at some point, if you're going to learn to swim, you know what you got to do? <clears throat> you got to let go of the side of the pool and trust. You have to do something that doesn't come very naturally to human beings. You have to do this. You have to surrender. And, and when we surrender and allow ourselves to learn to swim, a whole new world is opened up to us. A world filled with skiing and Marco Polo and boating and maybe even cliff jumping. I don't know. It's a whole new world, right? That's exactly what we need, not only in our lives, but specifically in our prayer lives. My encouragement to you is to keep praying for whatever it is is on your heart. But number four, as you do it, pray with a heart of surrender. Do you really believe that God loves you and cares for you? Do you believe that he's omniscient, that he knows everything? Well, then pray that way. Pray that you trust him more than you trust yourself. Pray that for 
8,000, 6,000 years, he's known what he's been doing in this world and that he still does in your life. May our prayer sound like this. God, I trust you and I want what you want more even than I want what I want. And I'd encourage you, quit clinging to the wall so much of the pool, having to do everything yourself. You have a God you can trust. Let go of the side of the wall. Pray boldly. But pray, Lord, your will be done. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we confess that there are so many times in our lives where whether it's because we don't trust like we should or because we've just forgotten that we have been so desperate in our prayers that when we don't get exactly what we want, it has stripped us of our happiness, our joy. Lord, that just does not need to be. We ask that you would continue to remind us of your presence and your love, that yes, sometimes fire trucks get broken, but Lord, you have given us something so, so much greater. And we'll be able to experience that in all of its fullness someday in heaven. So I ask you to give all of us renewed trust, help invigorate our prayer lives as we ask you for things as we're persistent, but as we pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. It's in his name we pray all this. Amen.